Um, pretty quick message here today, uh, just kind of quick, but it also comes with a little bit of a, of a disclaimer. Um, we're going to be talking about um, uh, a little bit in some point in the message today about some pretty tough topics, some pretty adult type things. And so if you have a child birth through fifth grade, uh, you might want to run them back to the kids' city area uh, right now. If you have a middle school child, uh, chances are, I'm going I'm to tread lightly, but chances are they've probably heard this in school in the hallway somewhere. But I will make it as, as, uh, as tame as possible. I promise you, uh, trust me, you're going to be okay. Um, I got to be honest with you guys. Last week I said that we we're going to start verse by verse of the book of Corinthians starting this week. I'm going to push that back one week. I'm gonna, we're going to start that next week. And here's why. Because I feel like we have got to understand the culture of the church in Corinth before we can fully understand the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, there's some things that are happening within the church body in the city of Corinth right now that I kind of want to explain, kind of give you some background to, to kind of just kind of marinate on. And then next week when we start going verse by verse, we'll probably take us through a whole year of the book. You'll be able to understand like, oh, I get it. This is why Paul is saying this. This is why this is happening or whatever it is. And so that's what I want to do today. I want to just kind of give you a little bit of backstory as to what's happening in the book of Corinthians right now. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 6 today. You can go ahead and get there and then just kind of hover over it. Wait there. If you don't have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, you can always look up on the screen behind me. Scripture's going to be there. Uh, there's probably a Bible somewhere in front of you, on the row, maybe behind you, and that is yours to keep as well. And also, always on Facebook. You can go on Facebook. The Scripture today is posted to Facebook. You can read along there through Facebook. You can also like the page, share the page. By the way, thank you so much. To everybody who, um, now I expect more people to clap for that. Um, uh, that was weird. That's awkward. I felt like the guy at the end of the teen movie, you know, doing that. So um, who, who liked the, uh, the Facebook page this past week? We're up to over 800 and some likes. So you're like, well, the likes on, you know, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, that just means that more people are going to hear about, you know, what's going on here at the church, the more we like. So our goal is 1,000 by the end of the year. I think we're going to blow past that. So Keep liking, keep sharing, get your family to like it, people you know. And so uh, I, that, was my, that was my sales pitch for the day. Um, okay, now back to Corinthians. The city of Corinth, the city of Corinth stood between two bodies of water. We have a map here for us to look at, okay? It's a body, it's a city that was in the, 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 the country of Greece, okay? The nation of Greece. And it sat between two bodies of water, the Sionic Gulf, uh, which kind of tied into the Sea of Crete. And the Gulf of Corinth, and you're probably like already bored as heck right now, but and that, none of that matters to you other than the fact that it's right in the middle of this body of water, two bodies of water. And what that does is it was almost a bridge between these two bodies of water, okay? So think kind of Panama Canal, uh, kind of a quick way to get across so you don't have to go all around the whole, you know, state of Africa, the country of Africa. And so it was right there between two bodies of water, okay? And because it was between two bodies of water, it grew to be a major city in Greece. And what would happen was people would, would roll their boat gently down the stream right here on one side of the body of water. And they would kind of get off the boat. They would walk the few miles across uh, through Corinth. And then sometimes they would stop. That's actually current Corinth. The more ancient Corinth was towards the middle of that uh, peninsula uh, land place right there. 
and they would walk there. Yeah, I'm a pastor, not a, a geologist type guy or, you know, world guy. And they would walk their boat across. Later on in history, current, current uh, actually has a canal built there now, okay? And so people would just kind of ride their boat all the way through the city and through the canal, okay? And so this made Corinth a major hub for the people of the day. I mean, economy-wise, they were booming. Diversity was just, you know, just all over the board. These people were getting traders and travelers from all over the world that were funneling into this city to come to the city. And so because of that, people from all walks of life were there. They were gathering, and business eventually grew in Corinth. And Corinth became one of the most booming metropolises of the time. It became one of the most popular cities. It was a port city. And so people would come there. They would travel. They would stop for a while. They'd hang out for a while. They would trade, do business in Corinth, and then move on to the next town. I mean, different cultures, different lifestyles, different beliefs, different races from all over the world. I mean, it was this big bowl of soup of diversity in Corinth. And for Paul, this was a prime location to come and preach the gospel. I mean, he couldn't ask for anything better. I mean, people from all over the world come to one spot. And Paul's like, that's where I want to aim. That's where I want to go. I want to go preach the gospel in Corinth. And so Paul shows up, and he preaches the gospel for a while, and people start to come to know Jesus. People start to give their life over to the movement of Christianity, this new thing that is going on. And as that happens, Paul uh, kind of plants the foundations of what we know as the church in Corinth. People are coming to know Christ, and he's planting up a church, a group of believers, living life together. And he stays there with them, and he helps them get started. He's put some time into them. He disciples them. He invests some time into the people of Corinth. And then, after a while, he entrusts them to continue the church, and he walks away, and he leaves, and he goes someplace else. If he probably went to Ephesus and planted a church there, because this letter that he's writing is a letter back to the Corinthians while he's in Ephesus. And so he goes and he plants another church. Now, that's what he wanted. He wanted the church to grow. He wanted the church to do great things in his absence. He wanted the church, he figured, hey, these guys are good, they're mature believers, and as I leave, they're going to just blossom. That's not exactly what happened. That's not exactly what happened, um, as we're about to find out. Um, because this letter that Paul is writing is not a letter saying, hey, how's it going? How you been? What's up, old friends? Y'all doing good? No, this letter is a letter for a call to repentance. This letter is Paul saying, y'all have messed up, and you need to make it right. Now, what could have ever happened to persuade Paul to write this letter? and ask the church to call for repentance. That's what we're going to learn today. Um, Corinth began to grow. The city, like I say, was in diversity and trade, and businesses began to bloom and blossom, and the city as a whole became very wealthy. They were very wealthy. I always consider Corinth as the present-day San Francisco, Seattle, New York, uh, South Bay, where McIntosh and Dell operate. I mean, there's some of them the biggest you know, areas of the, of the country where lots of people come and gather and start businesses. Um, this is where the wealthy are at. This is where the upper class of people uh, spend their time. This is where the rich are gathering. Corinth is the upper class 
type place to be if you own a business or do any type of trade with other nations. But here's the thing, though, because history will tell us that with rapid growth of any city and with the increase of wealth in any nation anywhere, there is one thing that happens all the time. You all guess what it is? One thing that happened? Corinth quickly became an immoral city. They quickly became a city full of immorality. Because like anything that is really good, really wealthy, it quickly becomes corrupt and selfish, and then becomes immoral. Okay, so um, just kind of stuff started going crazy throughout the city. Uh, prostitution was running rampant because of all the people visiting and coming through. And so there was actually a, uh, a temple in the middle of the city where they would gather and they would do their business. The women would gather and they would kind of set themselves out and they would do their business. There was also um, local bathhouses, things like a massage parlor. And, and people would come in and there was this big pool of water and they would gather in the springs and the men would bring in their wives and they would actually offer their wives and they would share things in these bathhouses. And so it was a really corrupt, uh, immoral type society where the rules of morality were just gone. It was, I mean, it was, everyone was open to everyone. Um, there was a guy in, in the book that was uh, having relations with his mother. There was another stories of um, homosexuality becoming very common as well. We'll talk about that in just a little while. Um, so what you have is rapid growth in wealth. You have rapid growing population in the city. And you have a rapidly growing population of immorality here in Corinth. So naturally, economics teaches us that if you have a rapidly growing upper class type people, you're also going to have a rapidly growing lower class people that are giving the upper class people money. And so as the people got richer and richer, there was a class of people that got poorer and poorer because they were making money off of them. Does that make sense? You guys track with me on that? You got a higher class, you got a lower class, very few people are middle class in this society. And so as they're supporting the upper class, the lower class people are more commonly um, just to have a more spiritual realm. They have a more spiritual belief system because they don't have much finances. They're the lower class. They have to believe in something to get them through their life. And so they have a much more, they're more susceptible to beliefs. And so naturally more people started coming in and, and teaching them about spirituality. And then we talked about that last week that, that more philosophers would come in. They would preach these flamboyant type messages to get them to believe their own certain way. And this is what's happening here. And so that was, that was geometry, right? Or not geometry, that was geology, the, the location of the church. That was economy, the, the socioeconomical status of the city. And now I'm going to teach you history, because history teaches us that when two large groups that are so diverse are in close quarters after a while, eventually these two groups of people will do one of two things. The first thing they will do is they will collide, that they will actually oppose each other eventually that the upper class will oppose the lower class and they won't get along. The lower class will uh, view the upper class as snotty and not want to be around them and they will collide. It's kind of like Jesus. You either love Jesus or you hate Jesus. There is no middle ground with Jesus. If the, the middle ground is you hate Jesus. There is either love or there is hate. And that's exactly what happens is, is they're going to collide and they're going to oppose each other, okay? But the more common thing that happens is the second thing that could happen is they will overlap. They don't just collide and stop. They actually intertwine and overlap. And this is exactly what is happening here in the city of Corinth. They, the two cultures started to 
overlap each other. And there was a small group of people who were just really sold out for Christ. Okay? So this group over here was sold out for Jesus. They love Jesus. They, uh, they love the, the, the mission of God. They, they don't go to the bathhouses. They, they protest the, uh, the, the working women of the day. They were against the, uh, the, the lifestyle that is around. And then there's this other group of people that indulge in this type of lifestyle. They love it. They are, they are, they are intrigued by it. They always want to do it more and more and more. These are the people that don't care about religion. They care about what makes them feel better about themselves and what they do. And so these two groups of people eventually started to overlap. They started to, to, to overlap, and the church in Corinth that Paul planted was part of this group that overlapped. You're tracking with me on this? They started to, the group of church, Corinth, the church in Corinth, started to dabble in some of the things of the world, and they still wanted to be a part of the church. They wanted to do the things of the world and be a part of it, but they still wanted to be part of the church. They were living in the overlap. Living in the overlap, instead of a church being a foundation for the gospel, instead of a true uh, proclamation of Jesus Christ, they stood, uh, you know, instead of standing against those things, they stood within those things. And Paul started to hear stories about this. He started to kind of see this becoming a major problem in Corinth. And so this is where he writes this letter. And the whole theme of the letter is you cannot live in the overlap of these two worldviews can't do it. Not only did he say you shouldn't do it, Paul says you cannot live in the overlap of these two worldviews. You just, it was physically impossible for you to do as a follower of Christ. He won't let you do it. And here's why. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 is where we're going to be today. We're going to read about three, three lines of scripture. I'm going to explain this to you guys. I hope I didn't get too nerdy on you guys. I'll try to be more preaching here over the next few, next few minutes. I saw y'all nodding your heads. Um, 1 Corinthians 9, 6, 9. Paul writes, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Let me explain what Paul just did here. Paul drew a line in the sand. He said that there was two sorts of people. He says that there would be some that make it into heaven. He draws the line in the sand. He says, there are some who make it into heaven, and then there are some who do not make it into heaven. He says that those are the unrighteous people. The righteous people you will make it into heaven, but those who are unrighteous will not make it into heaven. You guys, that is making sense for now. Then he goes on and he, he kind of lists the unrighteous type of people that he talks about here. Verse 9 continues. He says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. Like politically correctness was not Paul's thing. Let's read it again. It says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, Those are the people who practice unbiblical sexual exercises and acts and things like that. The sex outside of marriage, stuff like that. It says, nor idolaters. Those are the people who love things more than Jesus. The people who have a hard time putting God first in their lives. It's a struggle for them. It's a legit 
struggle. People who, uh, it says, uh, nor the adulterers, men and women who are unfaithful to their spouses. It says, or men who practice homosexuality. And ladies, that means you too as well. Of verse 10, it says, nor thieves, people who steal, nor the greedy. Those are the upper class, the rich, who, who want everything for themselves. No drunkards, no revilers, no swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is saying here that there is an absolute a clear distinction, a clear defining image between the children of God and the children of the world who love the flesh. He says there is a difference between them, and it's clear as day. You can see the difference in them. And he's saying that all of those who are children of God will not look like the children of the world. And the reason there is such a distinction between the two and the reason why the children of God cannot walk or even act like the children of God of the world is found here in verse 11. Keep reading here. Uh, Paul says that none of these things you will inherit, uh, none of these people will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on and he says, and such were some of you. Such were some of you. Notice what he said before. The sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, the drunkards, the thieves, the greedy. He says that none of these will enter the kingdom of heaven. And he said, such were some of you. If you have a Bible, highlight, underline, circle, mark that word, were with an asterisk beside it, whatever it is that you need to know, whatever you need to do to remember that word today, mark it. Write in your Bible, were, circle it, big stars, whatever. Because it is key. It is key that you know this and understand this so that you can walk with Jesus in the, in the right way. Paul says that these were things that you used to be known by. These were things that when people looked at you, they knew that you were identified with that sin. And he says, now you have a new identity. He says, now that you're not known for that, you're known for something else. And just keep reading the rest of the verse. He says, and in such were some of you, he says, but you were washed. I love that. You were this, but you were washed. Something happened in your life. Something changed. Nothing was the same, but something interjected into your life. It says you were washed. I love the imagery that Paul gives us. You were washed. He said all these things you were dirty and filthy and guilty of before the Lord, but now you are washed. That means, church, that you have become cleansed. That means that you are not that. You have become clean and new again. And just like a dish, you're washed. Why do we wash dishes? Why do we wash dishes? Come on, ladies. I'm sorry, I wasn't directing that to ladies. Men who are good husbands. Come on, so you can use them again. That's right. You wash a dish because it's dirty. Something ain't no one want to eat on your old barbacoa taco plate that you got going on there, okay? You want to wash those things. You want to wash them and make them new and good again so you can use them again, amen? The Lord, our God, and our Father has washed us clean of our sins if we choose to believe that. Some of you guys, that's all you need to hear today. But wait, there's more. <laughs> he did that. Check it out. He did that, and he did more than that, okay? Continue reading. It says, you were washed, 
but he washed you. And then he says, you were sanctified. And I'll get back to that one just a little bit. He says, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Okay, uh, I want to end with being sanctified. I'll come back to that. But what justified means is simply this. He says that you were justified. It means that uh, while we were in a relationship with God, our sin caused us to be on bad terms with God. And we occurred a certain debt because of our sins that had to be paid. And the only way that we could be paid in full or justified in full was through the death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying that you were justified wholly, completely, no matter what you do, you are paid in full because of the justification of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Come on. That, that, that's good stuff right there, okay? I didn't even write that. It's like it came out, okay? <laughs> Our sins did that to us. They pulled us away from God and made us incur a debt that had to be paid simply by death, and Christ Jesus stepped in and paid that debt for us. You were justified. Then Paul goes on and says, all these things again, you were sexually immoral, the idolatry, idol worshippers, the adulterers, the drunkards, thieves, greedy, all of those things. He says, but you were washed. He says that you were justified. And listen, church, he says, you were sanctified. You were sanctified. And we all know what sanctified means. I'm going to tell you anyway. The word literally means that we were made holy. That we were made holy righteous, that we were made holy. Sanctification is usually a process that happens throughout your life as you walk through Christ. You say we are being saved, uh, working out our salvation through fear and trembling. We're being sanctified. It's a process, and that's true. I mean, it is a process. Every day we learn to be something better. Like uh, John Piper was saying, more holy, more righteous. We are being sanctified in the process, but I cannot help but but wonder and, and notice that Paul did not say you were being sanctified. He said you are sanctified. He says that in this moment, as soon as you're washed by the blood of Christ, as soon as you're justified by the death and resurrection of his son, you are made righteous and holy and sanctified in the eyes of God. You've become holy to the almighty God. That is an incredible thing for us to hear today. Because it means that we are not no longer seen as undirty, unclean, and messed up people. We are seen as the holy and righteousness, accepting worship of God. Okay? Because we were all of these things. Amen? And we were all of these things. We were sexually immoral, we were idol worshippers, we were adulterers, drunkards, thieves, greedy. But now we are holy and sanctified, justified, washed clean children of God. This is what you are now known by. You're known, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not known by what you've done. You're known by who you really are, which is a child of God. What Paul is trying to say this it, to us here today is not that we're not identified by those things anymore. You're not known as that anymore. The culture might say you are, but you're not known like that in the eyes of God. In the eyes of God, you are a child of God. You don't do those things anymore. There's, that's not who you are. You are now made new. Because you're made new, you cannot live in that lifestyle anymore. It doesn't work. It, you can try it, but it does not work. Check out Philippians 1.6. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, 
It says, and I am sure of this. It says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's simply saying, God is not done with you. Okay? It's, he is not done with you. He is working in your life. He is sanctifying you. In his, in his eyes, you're a child of God, and he is training you up to be the sanctification, uh, uh, actual child of God that you are called to be. He is not done with you. The overarching theme that Paul is trying to tell us today, that we were once children of the world, living in the passions and desires of our flesh, doing the things that were against God, but through the washing, sanctification, and justification of Christ, we can be now known as children of God. And God is working in us, molding us, modeling us, working to make us the image of God that he wants us to be. It's exactly what he is doing. Amen? Now here's a question that we're all going to ask at some point in our lives. You might say to yourself, Pastor, that's, that, that, that's awesome. You say I'm a child of God, that's cool, that I don't have to live in the overlap anymore. Then why do I struggle with sin? That's a good question, right? I mean, you guys have asked that question, I mean, we all have. I don't care how old you are. You've asked that question. Why do I struggle with sin? If I am a child of God, a holy, righteous, as, as Scripture just said, sanctified, justified, washed child of God, then why do I struggle with sin? Why do I struggle with sexual purity? Why do I struggle with putting God first in my life? Why do I struggle with drinking? Why do I struggle with cheating on people? Why do I struggle with being greedy with the things I have? Why do I struggle with the sin in my life? Why do I keep going back to that life that God has saved me from? Why do I do that? And the answer is in verse 9 of Corinthians. Carefully again, let me read again. Paul does not say those who struggle with sexual immorality will not inherit the kingdom. No, he doesn't say that. Paul says those who are. Say that with me. Those who are sexual immoral. Those who are drunk. Those who are adulterers. Those who are homosexual. Those who are idolaters. This is where the church has dropped the ball over the years. This is where a lot of people have been hurt and burned by the church. And if you've been hurt and burned by the church, let me just apologize to my brothers and sisters in Christ who have not represented the Bible very well. What happens is that for many years, the church would preach this. People would walk in. They would hear this message. They would give their life over to Jesus. Everything's great. Hallelujah. Bring them up to the front. Baptize them. Everything's good. And in a couple of weeks, they go back to doing the things that they were doing before they went to church. And then the church would look and say, you need to get your act together right. And then they would, they would be okay for a while. Then they go back to doing those things again. The church says, you got to get your act together right. And after about three or four times of doing this back and forth thing, the church says, hey, you're a backslider. Uh, you're no longer welcomed in our community. You need to go. It's true. It happens. And the fact is that we've, we, we've made it to where you have to be perfect for some reason. We, we believe you have to be perfect to be a member and a, 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 a contributor to the church. And that's not true. If, if, if the guidelines were for us to be perfect, your pastor wouldn't be on stage today. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> amen. 
Amen, loser. Uh, so you, you do not have to be perfect. You don't have to live a clean life all the time. Let me be careful with this because I don't want you to misquote me. You need to not, you need to, you need to not be struggling with it though. You need to be fighting against it. If you're fully indulged in it and you don't give a crap about what God thinks about it, you're probably not saved. In fact, I know you're not saved. But if you struggle with this, if the, the Holy Spirit is, is working in you, then there is something turning in you and saying, this is not right. There is God working in your life saying, you do not belong here. You are my child. You belong in my life. You belong in this area. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to give a spoiler alert right now. You will struggle with sin in some way every day for the rest of your life. You might conquer and be able to overcome certain sins, but there is always going to be another temptation overlooking the next hill, the next corner you're going to turn, that the enemy is trying to use to get you to get away from God. You will. Man, you know this. Amen. You know this. You cannot walk through the mall without being tempted to look. Women, you know this. You cannot walk through the mall without being tempted to look at shoes. You know this. Amen. You know this. It is hard. But God is good. He makes a way for us to get through this. Listen, Paul is saying you may struggle, but it is not who you are. You may struggle with these things, but if you're washed, sanctified, and justified, it is not who you are. It's not who you are. I'm going to go out on a limb. I don't care if y'all get mad. I'll get an email. You may struggle with adultery, but you're not an adulterer. You may struggle with drug addiction, but you're not an addict. If your blood shed has fallen on you, you're cleansed, you're not that. You may struggle with idolatry, but you're not an idol worshiper. And this is a big one. Get ready. You may struggle with homosexuality, but if you're a loved child of God, and you have given your life to Jesus, you're struggling with homosexuality, you are not in the eyes of God for homosexuality. Some of that hurts to hear. But this book will back me up every time I see that. Because God says, These, this is what you were. You may struggle with your sin. It may be something that happens in your life constantly, and you struggle with it. And you say, God, why do I do this? And you have those moments where you break down and you cry and you feel just messed up over your life because you have such an enormous amount of regret for what you've done. But it's not who you are. You are a beloved, adopted, washed, sanctified, justified child of God. And you cannot live in the overlap for long. Just like the Corinthian church was doing, you cannot live in the overlap for long. You can step into that overlap in your life. You can try to dabble in the things of this world. But if you're a child of God, you will eventually hear your father calling you back. You will come back. That is called uh, conviction in your life. 
You cannot live in that, in that life for too long. You cannot do that. When you look at a woman or a man in a way that is dishonoring to God and to your spouse, and you feel regret for it, that's the Holy Spirit calling you back to where you belong. Whenever you value something more than God at that moment, you hold something above God level, whether it is a person, a relationship, a item that you have purchased, or a lifestyle that you want to live, whenever you do that, and you put God on the second tier of your life, and you feel regret for that, it is God calling you back to where you need to be. Whenever you cannot help but go out and drink and party, and you feel terrible for what you're doing, and you feel like you cannot stop, you need to know you can stop. There's help for you, and that's God calling out to you and saying, this is not where you belong. You are my child. When you sin any way against God, that is, and you start feeling regret, that is called Him, that is Him calling you back. I want to ask you this two-part question to end this. I want you to answer this honestly and with courage. And Horace is going to start playing as we wrap this up right now. I want to ask you this honestly. Because this is a safe place here at Impact City Church, amen? We don't judge. We hold each other accountable. We encourage. We challenge. But we understand that God is doing a sanctifying work within everyone here. And so I want you to do this. Honestly, I want you to do this. I want you to, to answer this, this question. I want you to bow your head and I want you to close your eyes. I want this between you and God right now. I want you to answer this question. Being honestly, do you struggle with sin? Do you struggle with sin? Before you raise your hand to say yes, before you keep your hand down to say no, I want you to know that adultery is simply looking at another person lustfully. If you have ever done that, you have cheated on your spouse. Idolatry is putting things before God. If you have ever skipped out church to do something out for yourself. If you've ever skipped out and started putting things before you, God, including Facebook, that is a sin or idolatry. You say, I don't, I've never murdered someone before, Pastor, but the Bible says in Matthew that if you even have anger towards your brother, that is murder. So I want to ask you again. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Do you struggle with sin? Do you raise your hand? God, be brave. Raise your hand. We all do. We all struggle with sin. If you struggle with sin, that is you. Raise your hand now. The second part of the question, keep them raised up. Just keep them up high. No one's looking. It's okay. Maybe it's taking you just a little bit more time to get there. Just whatever it is, just raise your hand up high. The second part of this question is are you a child of God? Have you been washed, and sanctified, and justified by the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you have, that's great. If you have, that's great. But if you have not, then, then why? Why haven't you done that? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. Why have you not accepted him as your Lord and Savior? Maybe you got pride. You can take care of that. 
Maybe you're scared. Take care of that too. Maybe you're, you've been running from him for so long, you don't want to give up the things that you put before him. Take care of that. Allow him to wash you, to sanctify you, to justify you today by accepting him as your personal Lord and Savior, the one who has come into your life to make a way for you to have everlasting life between him and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Welcome that into you heart today. Go forth knowing you are not known for what you have done in the past. You are not known for what you struggle with. You are now known to be a child of God. You can put your hands down and you're probably getting tired of it. I want to pray for you guys. pray for us and I want it to be a simple prayer today God for those in the room that you are calling to to yourself right now and they have that courage to do that today may they step up and be a child of God may they step out of the comfort zone and enter the zone of just love and peace may they know that they are washed and sanctified and justified Lord, just strip away all of the identities that have held us back for so long. Give us that new life, that new identity as a child of God. That is you, that that you you want that in your life. That is you. Just raise your hand one more time. Just raise your hand high. Confess it to the Lord. Say, I need you. Need you. Father God, thank you for today and thank you for this church. Thank you for for what you have done in the cross at Calvary for us. Thank you for sending a way for us to be made righteous before you. God, and thank you for all that you do. In Christ's name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, uh, you should have picked up a folder uh, on the way in. You should have been given a folder. And then we're going to take up our offering. You know, the card can just circle. I swear to my life of Christ. If you didn't get a folder, sometimes they let me know. I want to be encouraged by that. I want to keep. I want to keep that going. I want to be able to follow up. Listen, we're not a church that gets you to the line of salvation and walks away. We're a church that walks with you all the way through to the end. Allow us to do that. Allow us to help disciples. You're a child. Say that with me one more time. I am a child.